Well, good morning. Good to see you all on this fine, hot Sunday morning. It is squelching outside. Brother Jeff is on vacation this week, so he asked me to fill the pulpit in his absence, and I am humbled and I am grateful for this opportunity. If y'all could all turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 this morning, we are going to talk about uh, life before and after now in Christ. And while y'all are flipping there, let me ask you a question. Have y'all ever seen before and after photos? I mean, they're everywhere nowadays. You see them in advertisements, you see them on billboards, you see them on social media, and they cover everything from hair loss to losing weight to home improvement. And what makes these before and after photos so particular uh, is because they invoke this idea of change. There was a before, there was a change, and then there is an after. Whether it is as superficial as, as cosmetics or using Grogain, which I will have to use in, in years ahead, uh, to fairly serious things like having back surgery to growing a mustache. Very deep things. But there is always a before and an after when it involves a substantial life change. And this morning as we look through Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10, the Apostle Paul is going to describe what is the most fundamentally important before and after life change ever discussed in the history of humanity. An eternal life change is at stake here. So let's read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 in its entirety. We'll break it down and we will just have a hoot and a half. So chapter 2 verse 1 says this, As you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but... God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. And this is not of your own doing. It is the simple gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, before we go any further, we need to discuss the context. Why is the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the church in Ephesus? We're a little bit in the letter itself. We're, in, we're starting in chapter 2. There's a lot of things that happened before that. But according to biblical scholars, uh, 
The letter of the Ephesian church exudes the notion that the Apostle Paul needed to further instruct on some important aspects of the faith. The basic fundamentals of the faith had to be uh, further instructed. Basically, Paul is saying this. The edumacation doesn't stop as a Christian. We need to constantly be reminded as Christians the basic fundamental faith uh, truths that we believe in. This is what Paul is doing. So let us look, if you have your note uh, panel on your, on your listening guide, we are going to, uh, this, this, this section of scripture is broken down in before life uh, in Christ and after life in Christ. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. And we're going to look at some five key aspects of a life that is before Christ. So Paul gives in verses 1 through 3 an outline, a summary, if you will, of a life before Christ. First key aspect of a life before Christ is this. And then Paul starts off with a bang. He says that a life before Christ is a life dead in sin. A life dead in sin. See, in the Greek, the term for dead is nekros. And in this passage, nekros means more than just physically dead. It connotates the imagery of a living corpse. And we're not too far from understanding this, this idea in modern society. We have entertainment that is absolutely obsessed with the living dead, the walking dead, zombies, if you will. And this imagery connotates the idea that, that a life before Christ is a life dead in sin, like the, a, a living corpse. To not know Christ is to be worse off than physically dead, not someone in a casket buried six feet underground. It is a, it is a spiritual death. It is dead to sin. It is dead in sin. Second key aspect of a life before Christ is a life that walks in the ways of this earth. See, a life before Christ follows in, in the ways of the world. If, if you haven't noticed many mindsets and customs and practices that this world follows, agree that there is something fundamentally broken, off, askew, shattered, broken about humanity. That something is absolutely wrong. And so the ways of the world, they recognize this brokenness. They recognize that something is wrong. And so they try to make solutions to fix the problems. I mean, in the context of July 19th and the year of 2020, there are a lot of solutions being thrown out by the world to fix humanity. Furthermore, to protect humanity from the dangers outside of this wall outside of this building. See, a life before Christ walks in the ways of the earth, and every single solution that this world has to offer ends up falling short. Third key aspect, if a life before Christ means that you are enslaved to the influence of Satan, 
Paul states in in verse 2 that a life before Christ is enslaved to the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan himself. Listen for a moment. Satan wants to do everything within his power to keep us away from knowing, loving, having a relationship with, and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. He will do everything within his arsenal of evil to distract, influence, and tempt us away from God. See, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul states that the God of this age, Satan himself, has binded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. See, a life before Christ is one that is enslaved, that is under the influence, that is ultimately trapped into the influence and the power of Satan himself. Fourth key aspect, a life before Christ means that you have an unquenchable, sinful desire. See, imagine for me just a moment. You're walking in the middle of the Tennessee heat in the summer, and it is blazing hot outside. And imagine for just a moment, you're walking on that little walkway by the Cumberland River just downtown, and you're having fun with your family, and you're out there for hours and hours and hours, and you are hot, and you are sweaty, and you probably stink, and you come home and you're like, ah, I need water. I need an ice-cold glass of water. Ah, I've got this unquenchable thirst. And you get all your stuff together, you get your cup, you get your ice, you turn on that faucet, oh, no water. Oh, can you imagine that unquenchable thirst, that, that yearning to have a nice ice-cold glass of water during the summer heat of Tennessee? See, this is the image that the Apostle Paul is conveying about uh, a life before Christ. You have an unquenchable, sinful desire. C.S. Lewis, the great apologetic of the 20th century, he deduces this uh, unquenchable, uh, unquenchable desire. He boils it down to one essential vice, the utmost evil, and that's pride. C.S. Lewis, he describes as pride as essential, essentially competitive, not only wanting anything perceived or tangible, trying to fill in the hole that is in our heart, but not only wanting things tangible and perceived, but wanting more than the individual standing or sitting next to you, living across the street from you, wanting more than your best friend, wanting more than your worst enemy. Let's break it down this way. Life before Christ is completely consumed by pride and it is unquestionable. Think about it this way. If you desire money and your pride desires money, you're going to want more and more money. If your life desires uh, more influence and power, you're going to want more and more influence and power. If you desire romantic intimacy and sex, you will always want more and more and more. If you desire to feel good through drugs or religion or seeking the latest social trends, you will always want more and more and more. A life before Christ means that you have an unquestionable, sinful desire. Fifth key aspect of a life before Christ. Paul deduces this down in verse 
3, he says that if you are dead to sin, if you walk in the ways of this earth, if you are enslaved to Satan, if you have an unquenchable sinful desire, then it is clued as thus, you are simply a child of God's wrath. Just as the Lord God uh, warned the people of Israel who would face judgment for their sins, God warns of a final judgment that will befall on everyone at the end of each one's life. You find it in Romans chapter 4, verse 10, where it says, For we will all stand in judgment before God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, And just as it is appointed unto man to die once, and after that comes judgment. A life before Christ means that you are a child of God's wrath. See, these are the facts. This is the before image of a life that is before Christ. What a dark, what a cold, what an empty What a broken, what a sad image that this is. Are y'all sad yet? This is the before image of a life before Christ. This is before life, eternal, changing, new creation that is in Christ Jesus. This is the broken, cold, empty life before Christ. But this is not where the story ends, amen? This is not where the story ends. We do not stop with the before image. Paul transitions from verses 1 through 3 now into 4 through 10, and he gives us another five key aspects of a life that is now in Christ. This is the after image. This is after the eternal life stage. And the first key aspect starts off with a bang. We find in verse 4, we see the two most powerful words in the history of humanity right out of the gate. If you have a pencil, if you have a pen, if you have a highlighter, if you're taking notes, I encourage you, you underline these two words. You circle them, you highlight them, you put an exclamation point right next to it, but it's these two words, but God. In the Greek, it's deotheos. These are the most powerful words in the history of humanity. And here we find the strongest contrasts between a life before Christ and a life now in Christ. Here now Paul summarizes what is a life that is is in Christ, a life that has put faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the free gift of faith and salvation. Here are the realities that are only made possible through Jesus Christ. So the first key aspect of a life now in Christ completely parallels in opposition to uh, verse 1. You are made alive in Christ. A life now in Christ means that you are made alive in Christ. And before we go any further, let's make a couple of of sub-points to this first key aspect of a life now in Christ. And that is this. Look at verse 4. We did not take the first step to our salvation. God took the initiative. It doesn't say, but humanity got their act together. Humanity solved all of the problems. Humanity looked deep inside themselves and found all of the answers to the world's problems. It says, but 
God. God took the initiative. He took the first step so that we can be now made alive in Christ. Verses 4 through 5 said that even though we were dead in our sin and our trespasses, God took the first steps of our salvation. See, just a couple of minutes ago, we were talking about how all humanity is, is dead to sin, living corpses, unable to save ourselves from our wretched state. See, but God, who is full of rich, uh, uh, who is rich in mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us so that we do not have to bear the judgment, the punishment, and the wrath that we all deserve. See, John 3.16 says it best when it says, For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Second sub-point to the first key aspect is we are saved by grace through faith. Listen here, everything that Satan and this world tries to sell us in our fallen humanity is twofold. Either we can ignore our sin, shove it down deep, push it down. Just don't look at it, touch it, smell it, whatever. Let's just walk away from it. It's okay if we don't look at the burning fire, then there's not a burning fire, now is there? Now that's the first thing that Satan in this world will tell you is you just ignore all your problems. Ignore all of the issues. Keep buying stuff. Keep trying to find solutions. Then the second point is, is you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. You need to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you need to get to work. If you have issues, if you have problems, you need to fix it yourself. So it's either you ignore your issues or you have to fix your own problems. See, and on top of that, we have other religions in this world that tell you to look deep in, down inside of yourself to find all of the answers to life solutions. You just need to dig deep, uncover the truths about yourself, and you'll find all the problems will fix themselves. Well, I tried that, and I looked deep down inside myself, and guess what I found? Brokenness, sinfulness, pride selfishness, ugly things that I dare not talk about here this morning. This is what other religions try to push. This is what Satan and this is what the world is trying to, to push. But here Paul reminds us not just once, but twice found in verses 6 and 8 that we are saved by grace through faith. Look at verse 8 for a moment. Let's, let's break down this phrase for just a second. There's some key things that we need to talk about. The action verb saved. You are saved. You are saved by grace through faith. In the Greek, it is sesomenoi. Sesomenoi. And we find in the Greek that it is in its perfect tense. You have past tense, future tense, present tense. Well, in the Greek, it takes an extra step. We've got perfect tense. And when you find a verb that's in its perfect tense, it means it is complete, it is full, it is done, it is finished. When Christ on the cross said uh, to Telestai, that is in the perfect tense, it is done, it is complete, it is finished. And here we find Paul when he says, Sesomenoi, we are saved by grace through faith. This communicates that a Christian salvation is fully and totally secure. 
this free gift of salvation, this free gift of grace and mercy and love, it is not something you can lose. It is not something that you can pick up and put down. And it's something more than we can just walk away from. It is complete, it is full, it is final, and there is no work to be done to have salvation. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit, but it is complete, it is full, it is finished, it is done. When Paul says we are saved by grace through faith, that means God's work is final and it is complete by the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, faith is the confident trust and reliance upon Christ Jesus and is the only means in which one can obtain salvation, the only solution to humanity's problems. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, which is a gift of God in itself, God gives us the free gift of his grace through Jesus Christ. Last sub point is we do not work for our salvation. We work because of our salvation. Look at verse 10 for a moment. Now that we are alive in Christ, we are a new creation in Christ. We are now God's workmanship to go and do God's works. If we are alive now in Christ, we are to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. We are to advance the kingdom of God by caring for those in need. We need to be making and teaching disciples the word of God. See, good works Christians do are a direct result and consequence of God's new creative work now inside of us, now that we are alive in Christ. Second key aspect of a life now in Christ is this. You walk in the ways of the Lord. You don't walk in the ways of the earth, the brokenness, these silly solutions that the world offers. All who are alive in Christ now seek to please the Lord through faith and obedience. And it keeps us a lot out of, out of trouble on top of that. No longer seeking the, the dead ends of the world that the world provides, but now walking in grace and peace. We walk in the ways of the Lord. The third key aspect of a life now in Christ is you are now a slave to Christ. In the Greek, it is doulos. You are a slave to Christ. If you are alive now in Christ, you are a slave to Christ. You're no longer enslaved to the prince of darkness, but you are enslaved to the prince of peace, the Lord of lords, the king of kings. Amen? See, Romans chapter 6, verse 22 says this, but now you have been set free free from pride, from selfishness, from anger, from lust. You are free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its ultimate eternal end, which is eternal life. You are now a slave to Christ. Fourth key aspect, you now have a quenchable living water. Remember Jesus, when he tells the Samaritan woman by the well, he says in John chapter 4, verse 13 through 14, anyone who drinks of ordinary water will be thirsty again. If you go outside in the Tennessee heat, you're going to get thirsty. You're going to drink water. You're going to get thirsty again. But Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I, being Jesus Christ, give him will never thirst again. 
The water that, that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus Christ not only fills our hearts, but overflows our hearts so that it impacts others. Last key aspect, deducing it down once again. If you are now alive in Christ, you are now a child of God. Those who are now alive in Christ are no longer a, Christ, a, a child of wrath, but a child of God. By grace through faith, we are now adopted sons and daughters uh, of, of God who loves us, gave his son to die for us, desires to have a relationship with us, desires to draw near to us when he, we call for him. Galatians 3.26 says it best. For in Christ Jesus... You are all sons of God through faith. See, what a beautiful picture of stark contrasts. The before image, a life before Christ, dark, cold, empty, meaningless, full of doubt and depression, unanswered questions, cold, empty, sad, and now we have a life that is now in Christ, has meaning, purpose, grace, salvation, love, and peace. A quenchable living water. See, the Apostle Paul, at the end of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he doesn't leave it uh, just cut and dry. He, he invokes an imagery here, or he invokes this idea that a decision needs to be made. He knew full and well that as he was writing the letter to the Ephesian church, he knew that there will be believers here, just like there are believers here July 19th of 2020. There are believers that will be in this church, but Paul's no dummy. Paul knew that there would be people outside of this church who would be drawn near to see and hear the truth claims of Christianity, he knew that there would be people there in the church of Ephesus. He knew that there would be people here at First Baptist, St. Bethlehem, that there were people here who needed to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He knew that there, was a, there were people here who have a life before Christ, a life before the radical, eternal life change that is Jesus Christ himself. And he leaves us off with this. What will it be? What will it be? He paints the picture clear. You can't hide it. You can't ignore it. You can't just write over it. You can't get white out and just write out all of the, the, the stuff he said. It is black and white. It is a life before Christ or it is a life now in Christ. And he tells us this. Our world is broken and it's been broken for a very, very long time. And even today it is still broken. But despite that brokenness, but God, Deotheos, he made a way. He has the solution, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you made him your Lord and Savior? Have you repented of your sins? Have you confessed to the Lord, I have, I have walked in the ways of this world. I have this unquenchable, sinful desire I am a child of wrath. 
I deserve eternal punishment. I deserve eternal separation. Nigh is the time. Nigh is the place. Nigh is the chance, the opportunity to go from a before image to now life in Christ. To go from a child of wrath to a child of God. Maybe some of you in here, you may have a relationship with the Lord, but man, you ain't walking like it. And you have walked in the ways, you've, you've turned your back on Christ and you've walked in the ways of the Lord, or uh, the ways of the world and, and nigh is the time, nigh is the chance, nigh is the opportunity to restore that relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the perfect time, July 19th, 2020, to have, be an example of, of a before and after that is in Jesus Christ. Nigh is the time. Let us stand as we usher into a time of invitation. Kevin is going to sing a few bars. And this is a chance, this is an opportunity to come to the altar, to come to the throne of grace and be a part of that before and after that is in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. We worship you. God, your word just clearly tells us there is a stark contrast between the life before Christ and a life now in Christ. God, and we are left with the decision. God, you took that first step. You took fundamentally the biggest, greatest step, offering us the free gift of salvation. All we have to do is turn to you and receive. God, I pray that you just work in our hearts. You, you convict us of our sin. You break, us heart, uh, break our hearts through your word and your spirit this morning. God, that we may not go out pondering, questioning, unsure of the truth that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we ask these things in your son's holy and precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen.